Welcome to episode 59 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. If the word networking makes you anxious and you feel pressure to perform at conferences, events, and meetings, you are not alone. Every event has people who feel overwhelmed and frustrated. They have to spend hours and hours working a room when all they want to do is stay in their room. But what if it was a different story for you? What if you could move from exasperated to empowered in weeks instead of years? What if you could take control of your networking story and cast yourself as the hero? And what if it didn't matter if you were shy, introverted, and maybe even a little afraid? You can add networking to your list of skills without feeling scammy, fake, or scared, and you can do it in just 10 weeks. That's what's possible when you sign up for Empowered Networking, my new online group coaching program that will show you how to conquer conferences, crush your insecurities, and create opportunities through the power of community. Take complete control of your networking through this intensive group program based on my best-selling book, Croissants versus Bagels. This exclusive pilot program begins on September 10th and is limited to just 20 participants. You'll learn exactly how to stop wasting valuable time on the wrong networking activities and how to focus on the things that help you build great relationships. Learn more and sign up at robbysamuels.com slash empowered networking. If you have questions, reach out. I am happy to chat. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. If you enjoy business podcasts, you should also check out C-Suite TV at c-suitetv.com. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest arrived in the United States in 1989 with $194 in his pocket and a very limited ability to speak English. He is now known worldwide as the Millionaire Marketing Mentor. He is the go-to guy for coaches, consultants, and other successful service professionals who want to attract more clients, convert more high-value sales, build an authority brand, and grow a lifestyle business that makes a bigger impact while generating income. His clients and students have experienced incredible success, often doubling and tripling their businesses. He's a zealous believer in free enterprise, entrepreneurship, and that only you determine the limits of your success. Our guest believes that success is not just about financial rewards from your business, but also about health, family, friends, spirituality, and contribution to others combined all together to create a balanced, fulfilled life. Please join me in welcoming Adam Urbanski. Ta-da! Thanks for having me here, Robbie. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for joining me if you're office in Irvine, California. So I want to just jump right in. This is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Man, I knew you were going to ask me that. You know, it's like I should have spent more time thinking about it. What does leadership mean to me? You know, I think that it's the ability to paint pictures that allow people to uh, open up to their potential. And it's both for myself and for others. 
Um, I, I think ultimately it comes down to really helping people recognize that there is way more than they can be and achieve. More right. importantly, help them believe that they actually, that they've got what it takes to do it. Yeah. Inspiring others to be their best selves is such yeah. a powerful gift that someone can give you. Is there a moment early on where you, maybe you recognize yourself or someone else recognized in you leadership? Did you take on any of their formal leadership roles or were you like the kid who organized everyone in the neighborhood? Like how did you approach it? Yeah. I think I was always kind of a kid instigator, so to speak, but you know what? I tell you this. So, uh, I sort of remember that, but I'm almost more told than I remember. So when I was in kindergarten, my parents were called in like the first two weeks in and, uh, they were said, well, you know, we've got a problem with Adam and they were like, well, what's the problem? I was actually sitting, you know, like, they give you kind of donkey ears and they sit you like in this little corner desk. We're supposed to be like <laughs> embarrassed. That was me. And I said, well, he's very distracted to the class because what happens is he knows how to do his stuff. So he does it. And then he goes around the class and tells other kids how to do it. He's not supposed to do it. So I was the kid who was doing that. It's like, you know, go and tell other kids how to do the stuff you're supposed to be doing. That's funny. My parents got a phone call about first grade because I was selling something <laughs> to my classmates. <laughs> There's these like um, little plastic hats that are for all the baseball teams. Yeah. And I guess they sell them to put ice cream in them or something. They're like a souvenir. Uh-huh. I don't know. My, my dad got a hold of a whole bunch of them somehow. And I went to school and was selling them to the kids. Probably <laughs> yeah. the entrepreneur. I love that. Yeah. First grade. I forgot about that. Yeah. I love that you were instigating early on. It sounds like you're also pretty smart and like you, you were probably a little bored kind of like rushing through the content because you were like, yeah, yeah, I know this. Let me go help everyone else figure it out. I don't know what it was. It's just, you know, uh, I think what it was, it's, I know I enjoy helping other people. I truly get a kick out of, you know, seeing someone else get it, the lights light up, the light bulb goes on. I'm like, okay, that's the magic moment. Yeah. So or, when you continue on in life, like in, in high school and college, were there other opportunities for you to take on formal leadership or did you not you know, seek so that out? Funny because I, there were a couple of places. So sort of, you know, the way I was brought up, it's like you were expected to take on certain, like I want to be a class president or a school president. But, you know, funny thing is that I actually never really sought those positions. I kind of would prefer to be like leading from behind almost. Like I had influence. I, you know, again, I was kind of an instigator. If anything needed to happen, if it needed to be, a, you know, a class field trip, if we needed to have a teacher release us early, I'll be the guy who would kind of go and negotiate and pull everybody together. So let's make it happen. But I wouldn't necessarily crave an official title. You actually, I learned early on that you might get more done outside the system than in it. Funny <laughs> right. how it works. So maybe yeah. that was kind of an indicator that I was entrepreneurial. I didn't need a title. I just make stuff happen. Make stuff happen. So uh, what, what is most rewarding about the work you're doing today? I mean, it's, it sounds like, you oh first of all I, we can't brush over this this is like too good of a story i know that you've told this story before a zillion and a million times i don't know but i i started by saying you came here to the states in 1989 so a little over 25 years ago yep 194 dollars which even in 1989 that wasn't very much money mm-hmm. <laughs> nope and you didn't have a very strong command of the english language <laughs> that's a very nice way to put it Robbie uh-huh. I could say excuse me sir how do you do and do you have the time with British with proper British I can't even say it anymore today but with proper British accent there's a problem if someone stopped and actually responded to me 
you know, I can only imagine that my eyes must have looked like two big saucers, like wide open, staring at somebody going like, uh, uh, I had no idea what they were saying back to me. So, um, you know, so here's another funny story. I know people always go like, how do you know exactly how much money you had? I said, well, I rem- the reason I remember it is because I, I was leaving Poland with 200 bucks. And my, my then girlfriend was walking me to the train station to get on a train to go to Warsaw to get on a, on a plane. And um, she said, I need, it was winter, you know, it's November. I need new, it was actually December. And I need new shoes. And I gave her $6. And people go, man, weren't you generous? I'm like, you don't get it. Six dollars, but you like the top of the line pair of shoes. Like you were king at with yeah. socks in Poland back then, right? So I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But then my first purchase in the United States, I, I went to like one of those kind of Seven Eleven type stores, you know, some convenience store on a market on a on a, on a corner, and I bought six pack of Coca Cola and some kind of little bottles and a loaf of bread, and I paid like close to twenty bucks for it. So again. To this day, I think I got ripped off because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But I remember sitting in my hotel room going like, man, I paid for this 20 bucks, which is more than you know, 10% of what I have. And this isn't even a meal. This is like nothing. Right. I am really screwed. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But you, you, uh, you obviously found your way. Like, what was your next step? Like, well, did you banks. even know? <laughs> is it lucrative? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the money is supposedly, right? I'm sorry, I yeah. totally cut you off. What was the question? Well, I'm just curious. Like, um, you know, there's that question on one of the podcasts I listened to, and they actually they say like, if you like were put into another universe and had all of your skills and talent, but you know, but only like a hundred dollars, but you didn't have your Rolodex, no, no yeah. connections. Like, what would you do? And everyone's like, well, I would start building my business. It's like, but really? Really, that's what you would do? You wouldn't like go buy a six pack and, you know, and like get ripped off and like, like you don't know anything. So it's really hard. Yeah. How did you psychologically manage through that? So, time? you know, so I don't know if you've heard that story or not, but I think it's kind of important because today I talk about plan B being for losers. And, you know, so here's a story. I, I tried to first leave Poland through Austria. And, you know, I say goodbye, say goodbye, say goodbye to my family, hopped on a train, ended up in Austria. And I, I had this, you know, there's a, there's a, it, it still is, but back then it was even more very complicated process to even get inside U.S. Embassy. It's like a year-long process to be in line, right? Uh, back then. Today, it's probably different. You're essentially, today, like, you have neighborhood associations. You had association for a line that was waiting to get into the embassy, all right? Wow. So I figured this is impossible. I had, uh, I was facing military, uh, mandatory military draft. So I figured I'm going to go to Austria. In Vienna, Austria, I'm going to go to Canadian embassy. Canadian, once they see me, they're going to go like, oh my, come on over, we want you. And then once I'm in Canada, obviously the Americans are going to say, oh my gosh, we can't wait for you to come down here, please, right? I mean, I had this whole imaginary scenario in my head since I was going to work. So I go to Vienna, I say goodbye to my family. I so said, I probably won't see you now for the next 20 years. You know, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. I, I, can't, I won't be able to come back. And um, I totally screwed things up in Vienna. I end up going to the Canadian consulate. And then I end up missing my appointment. So I go late. And, uh, you know, everything is pretty much closed. I find someone and I start speaking Polish, like slower and louder kind of like they do in movies, thinking that it automatically translates into English. If you speak slower and louder, it automatically must be translated, right? 
because they have no idea what I'm saying. I have no idea what they're saying. I got a big old denied stamp in my passport. It got dark. I got scared mindless in Vienna. I walked back to the train station, hopped on a train, and was back home the next morning going like, ta-da, I'm back. <laughs> and your family's like, oh, 20 yeah, years passed was, really quickly. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. So then when I got to New York, I had an uh, open ticket for six months. And my first night, in, and I had hotel paid for 10 days and this open ticket, and, you know, so hotel was uh, like with this, uh, uh, what do they call it? The complimentary breakfast in the morning, continental breakfast in the morning, right? Uh, which was totally unfamiliar concept. I'm like, wow, free breakfast in the morning? How cool is that? Right? But you get like muffins and juice or whatever. But I had this open ticket. So sitting there in my hotel room, I had a, I had a it was a two-people room. I was sitting there with a roommate, a person that I just met on a plane. I didn't know them. They kind of came, you know, as well. And um, I was staring at my ticket late at night. I was staring at it for a long period of time. And, you know, I got my six-pack of Coca-Cola and my loaf of bread. I just spent nearly $20. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know, this isn't good. And I knew that if I have this ticket, if that's what it, take, what it takes, I'll walk to the airport, but I'll book the ticket and go back to Mama because I'm going to get scared. And I just literally just shredded the ticket. I ripped it to pieces. And I was like, that's it. There, there's, I, I have no money to buy nothing. I'm, that's it. I got to make this work. I don't know how. So no plan B. That's your thing. No plan B. No plan B. Is that till today, like how you, you help people get past Pretty their much, own fear? You know? So it's, I always think, you know, plan for the worst, but expect the best kind of thing. And I always have this approach that, no matter how bad it is, things will always work themselves out. I don't get into a frenzy. I don't panic. You know, I don't go like, oh my God, this is so bad. This is desperate. I, I always have this expectation, you know, even when it's bad, I know there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. This is a solution. And I just kind of have to go through whatever is going on. Yeah. What was the most challenging beyond, <laughs> beyond showing up on the shores of the States without money? <laughs> <laughs> or knowing how to speak the language. What, as you grew your business, as your uh, business evolved over the last 25 years, like what was really challenging about the business aspect and how did you overcome that? Huh. So, you know, obviously I was in a different business for the first decade and then different business than, than I'm now. So I don't know. It's like most, you know, I think to start with culturally, it was a shock. I mean, everything was very different. I mean, I had Chinese food. I mean, you probably grew up on peanut butter and jelly. I never had peanut butter until I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Like all sorts of things. Mac and cheese. I never heard of mac and cheese. I, all, I mean, all sorts of things that you take for granted. McDonald's. I never heard of McDonald's, right, until I was 18 years old. So all sorts of things that you took for granted, you know, they were like, wow, you know, where am I? This is all magical. Um, obviously, the language barrier. Um, you know, I think the big thing for me was actually being embarrassed about having an accent, um, thinking that I can't do certain things because, you know, I'm a foreigner uh, and, and I do speak with an accent. Um, you know, so almost like being hesitant to, to open my mouth and share anything that I knew because I was afraid of being judged. I think that was a big barrier for me for many, many years. That's a huge barrier. And I imagine even uh, for those listening, there are people who, who are still facing that. Um, I know a lot of people I've been working with, uh, as I've grown my network over the last couple of years, I've met more and more people 
who are living abroad or are living abroad and like visiting the States or living this, you know, briefly living here or, you know, moving here, et cetera. And like that, that culture, the cultural shift is, is huge. Um, I was just talking to somebody who's in Italy and thinking of coming to the States and networking as a concept is very different in Italy than here. And he's particularly in the entrepreneur space and here everyone's very sharing and like, like, I'll take a phone call with you and support you. And he's like, Whoa, I don't, I have to retrain myself because if he came here and didn't participate in that way, then he would be seen as like, you know, the odd one who was being closed off. So the cultural stuff's really interesting to me. Uh, Tell me, tell me like about some successes that you're having with your clients these days. Like what's the work you're able to help them really aspire to and and achieve? So, you know, I always, uh, when I do live presentations, I kind of tease my audiences. I say, I've got a, I've got a couple of really, really dangerous diseases. Now, the bad news is that I've got them and an incurable. The, the good news is it's not contagious. You know, so the first diseases, I tend to uh, speak fast and deliver too much information. So hopefully it's okay. And, you know, the second disease is I'm addicted to results. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> I just, I, you know, my first profession, I grew up in a family that owned a bakery. My first profession in the United States, I became a baker. And there's something about getting a bunch of ingredients, mixing them, throwing them in the oven, and, you know, an hour later, you've got this aromatic loaf of bread coming up. I mean, it's like, I think I became addicted to those results. Like, you get a bunch of nothing, mix it together, and you've got something, amazing something. So with clients, you know, I'm wired. I'm I just, and I'm not attached, right? But I love getting results. So today, I'm kind of waving this results revolution flag because the industry I am in, coaching, consulting, especially coaching, you know, it's notorious for the fact, in fact, I used to teach it, you know, the saying that you're not responsible for the clients, you're responsible to the clients. And, you know, an entire industry is sort of quietly okay with the fact that 95% of our clients are failing. They're not getting the results they're signing up for. And, you know, for years it bothered me. And I was always telling my clients, look, I'm looking for a way to reverse this ratio. And I'm actually happy to report, Robbie, that for the last year, since last September, so nearly a year now, you know, I've been able to do this and we have nearly 100% success rate. So every client we take on, you know, and by our standards, it's like depending on which programs, but it's like three, minimum three to five um, uh, times ROI on the investment in 90 days or doubling the business in 90 days. That's our qualifier of success. And again, we've got about 95% success rate right now, whether it's an existing business, someone that comes to us with an idea and want to get started. And, you know, so like just recently in the last few months, we had a number of people that came in and within the first 90 days, we got them to have a six-figure business. And wow, like this, this, this sounds yeah. fantastic. I, I imagine you're pretty selective about who you work with then because a lot of times the people themselves, the idea might be great. Yeah, the people themselves are the hindrance. I've heard this also for venture capitalists. They invest in the entrepreneur, not the idea. Yeah. Because the, the idea might fail, but if the entrepreneur is, is gifted and talented and driven, then the VC is invested in the right person. They'll come up with the next, next big thing. They'll keep going. They'll keep going. So yeah. how, how are you thinking about that when you're thinking about who you work with if you want to have 95% much, results? Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. It's 100% about client selection. You know, many years ago, and, and, you know, funny thing is like we do things all the time and we don't know it. We know of it, but we don't know it. So many years ago, I've heard this interview with one of the greatest copywriters 
uh, that, that has you know long-standing success record. And in direct marketing, it's called control pieces, right? So those are the pieces of direct mail that have the best results. And people try different versions, they can't beat it. And you have like record, you know, control pieces. Nobody could beat it. And they ask me, you know, what is it? How do you do that? And he said, I never take on an unproven client. So I only take all the successful clients and, you know, I know that I can make the campaign a little bit better, but I never take untested offers because then it's like a difficult, you know, then you you don't know if it works, period. You know, I, I can't create magic. I can improve on the magic, but I can't create it. So I knew Wafit for many years, but only again until about last year, I finally said, you know what? This is all about client selection. I just need to take the right clients. And with the right clients, we can make magic happen together. So yeah, I'm very selective today. And in fact, every time I, you know, I invite people to, do, to, do, to work with us, you know, I always tell them, look, there's, there's, no, there's no hard selling. There's no pitching. If I am not 100% convinced that I can create results for you, I'll be the first one to tell you, I won't even invite you to work with us because I want to have 100% success rate. Now, Adam, that's today. That's today when you're already known as a millionaire marketing mentor. But when you first start out as an entrepreneur, you say yes to everybody, right? Like that's, that's that, there's that time where you're like, if you're a speaker, you do the free gigs, you do the Rotary Club, you know, you do whatever you can to, to tr- kind of hone your craft, to get your message out there. For people to know who you are. But there is a point, and I can't remember who said this, where you have to drop your lowest 15% like performing clients to make room for the top 15% to grow. And yeah. that, you, that there's also people that you just don't really, you don't want to do that kind of work anymore. But when you first started out, like you must have just been trying things out. I mean, to go from baking <laughs> to this, I mean, baking is a good skill. I, I love that you came over here with that skill because that's a skill that applied right away right? Uh, uh, other people knew you. I'm sure you found Polish bakery. So like you weren't also alone language wise, right? You found people to like being community. Not with. even close. <laughs> no, it didn't work. I would think that you'd find people that way. Not even close. There are lots of lessons in there as well. I actually ended up working for Hungarian Jews. So I ended up speaking Russian my first year. And I, I learned better Russian than English my first year in New York, you know? That's awesome. And a little Yiddish thrown in too, I imagine. <laughs> That's no, I actually good. didn't learn any Yiddish. Didn't go right. there. But, you know, they spoke Yiddish to each other a lot. I know. Yeah. I don't have a knack. I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have knack for languages. That's actually not an easy skill for me to pick up. Yeah. But, you know, so to make it really attractive to, you know, to, to people that are listening to this, I tell you this. Actually, can I tell a little story? It's not my story. There is a story that Darren Hardy, the guy who used to publish a success magazine, talks about It tells, and he says, I was trying to get, um, Richard Branson to come and speak a lot of my conferences. And I finally found the name. I reached out to Richard Branson's, Richard Branson's people and I said, you know, $100,000 to have Richard speak at my event. And it's like, nope, not interested. So I scratched my head, went back 250000 to have Richard Branson speak at our event. Uh, and the answer comes no. You know, and then I said, okay, half a million dollars to have Richard Branson speak at my event. Here's, you know, here's my money. Can you, you know, will he come and speak? And the answer is no, you don't understand it. Richard Branson has three areas of focus this year, and speaking is not one of them. So there is no amount of money you can pay. And people say, well, great for Richard Branson to turn out you know, half a million dollars, right, for a speaking gig. He can do it. And the reverse is actually true. No, 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 you don't get it. He is Richard Branson. He is where he is because he follows this kind of 
I'm focused on three areas. This isn't one of those three areas. I don't want to get distracted. So I wish that, you know, I had a mentor who kind of hit me over the head with a two by four and said, look, every bad client you take is going to derail you and delay you for weeks, months, possibly even years and slow down your growth and your progress. Don't do that. No matter how desperate you are, you know, this is faith, not in a religious, not in a religious way, but today I have it. Obviously, you know, when we start, we typically don't. And the faith is, look, if you're trying to, to uh, convince the wrong prospect to become a client, you're essentially blocking the right prospect to become a client. It's probably just around the corner, but you can't see it. So you don't want to wait for it. That's so true. I'm uh, launching a group coaching program this fall, which will um, get started soon after this airs, the end of August. And um, I actually don't have a, um, a sales page for it because I, I, everybody who's joining me, because it's a pilot program, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having a one-hour conversation with them. Yep. And you know, I'm happy if at the end of that hour, it's not a good fit and they just learned a lot from me. That's fine. Um, but I need a certain, like, I, it's like not just what they're looking for, it's what they're willing to give into this new community. And that's really important to me. And like the sales page might get the wrong people for the wrong reasons. It, it could be very slick marketing, but the genuine connection with something was really important. And I'm still in the beginning parts of building that part of my business, but I, I've also started to learn this lesson that I can't do everything for everybody and I better be selective so I can be yeah. like high impact for those people I do work with. And that seems yeah. like your message right now. It's actually a very smart thing that you are doing. So you're sort of intuitively are following, you know, um, you're following the right track because look, writing copy is a learned skill. Everybody can learn to be a, a fairly good copywriter but it's a skill that takes a long time to learn, right? To write good copy. And what's another thing that happens is at first people really don't know, you know, what really sells, what's the language, what are the hot buttons to push? So if you write the sales letter kind of in the vacuum, you don't know if it's a good sales letter, if you're touching the right points, if you're sending the right message, if you're speaking to the right clients. So what you are actually doing, which is speaking to potential clients, is the best way to figure out What's the message? What do they really want? What are they actually buying? What features, what benefits are they looking for? What language they are using? How do they talk about their problems and desires? Now, you go first, second, third time, you know, you have a few of those conversations, and then you have all the materials to actually write good copy, but not before. So you're doing the right thing in the right order. Oh, I appreciate hearing that because it is all trial and error. Yeah. So, um, you're a, a busy, busy person. I know that you're balancing a very successful business. Uh, you live a full life. You're doing a lot of these kinds of podcasts lately. And the world doesn't have like an off switch anymore when it comes to work. I mean, you, you carry that with you wherever you go, when you go home, when you wake up in the morning. Is there anything you're doing to help find some sort of balance or integration between life and work? And is, is there, I, I guess, what does self-care look like for you? Yeah. You know, so I'm very blessed. I sort of, uh, because I've, I've, I've created this structure around me that allows me to be kind of like a cat. You know, if I want to stay up all night and work, I'll stay up all night and work. But if I want to take a nap in the middle of the day, I'll take a nap in the middle of the day. So I've got enough flexibility to do that. 
But you know, I'm a lot, I'm on a computer, uh, in front of a computer a lot, right? I'm on Facebook. I do a lot of my business through Facebook, actually, down to the point where I run my programs using Facebook groups. So I'm there a lot, but then I also know when to disengage. Now, here's an interesting thing, right? Here's my phone. And I don't know if I can, uh, if you will see that. I don't know if you can see, but you know, uh, where is it? It's, I don't know if you see that, but it's in airplane mode. See that? Uh-huh. Yeah. My phone stays in airplane mode 95% of the time. Wow. Right? It does not ring. Now, aside from that, very few people actually have access to my cell phone number. Like, period. You can't get a hold of me by phone unless you have an appointment and then you get a different phone number. Another thing is, uh, you know, I may have Facebook and whatever else. Nothing sends me notifications on my phone. Not a single application can send me notifications on my phone. It's like I use it for business. I can access my networks. I can access, but nothing beeps at me. I do it yeah. on my terms, on my time. When I say I've got 20 minutes to focus on this, I go and do that. But nothing is going to distract me with any messages. On Facebook, I don't even know what that is, but I've got some sort of pop-up, some sort of thing in- included. That no pop-ups. There's no thing. I don't have the messenger 10 on. So people can like, you know, pop in and say, hey, I've got it. It's like I don't. I don't allow myself to be distracted. Everything is on my schedule, period. Is that something that you had to learn over time? Or did someone teach that to you? That's a really, I mean, I know like even turning off the email dings, a lot of people get distracted by the little new message, you know, <laughs> they're like, yeah. can't, they can't finish a letter because uh, there's something always calling them to go check their inbox. Yeah, which funny thing is, you know, I don't do email. I don't do email. Um, I have email and, you know, I read emails, but in terms of like communication and help, you know, I try to, you know, I, I stay, stay away from it 99% of the time. You know, if I were to give credit to one person, then Kennedy wrote the book, No BS Time Management. And I, wrote, I read that book many, many years ago. And if anything, I think I have to give them credit that it's like, look, you, you've got to be extremely protective of your time. Because that's one resource that's non-renewable. Oh, that's so true. Is there, is there a habit in particular that you're struggling to adapt into your life, like uh, something around health or fitness or, or self-care and time? Um, not currently, you know. I, I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. Now, the important thing to point out, Robbie, is I'm, I don't live a balanced lifestyle. People that are striving for balance will always live mediocre lifestyle. Successful people are always in imbalance, always. If you want to be good at something, you've got to focus on it with my, 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 uh, what's the fanatical focus. And if you're fanatical about one thing, obviously some other things will suffer, mm-hmm. right? Um, but now I'm not, am I trying to incorporate some? Not really right now. Yeah, it sounds like you also have, a lot of it's about just giving your head some space to think about things. Um, one of the things that you might be interested in is, um, uh, have you ever heard of the book uh, Miracle Morning? Yeah, by Elrod. Yep. Yeah. So I've tried to incorporate some of that. I'm I'm a night owl too, and so when you know my idea is not it's not like first thing in the morning five a.m. It's like first thing in the morning when I get up. Um, it's nice to have a little time for yourself. I think too many of us, you know, reach for our our phone and check email and Facebook, etc. And it sounds like you're really disciplined about how you're using your time because it isn't a renewable. Resource. So you know what, actually, so, so I lied. So if there were one thing I would try to incorporate back, I would be more fanatical about my morning routine because I used to have a Spartan routine. I'll wake up at six and I didn't touch anything business related till 8.30. I didn't touch anything computer and like communication wise till nine. 
right? So I had two and a half hours before I actually started working on business, three hours before I touched anything electronic. I don't do that today, but I know the times where I really grew the fastest is when I had that routine in place. So I actually would like to get back to it. I'm not disciplined enough currently. I haven't, you know, I haven't made a decision to do it yet. Yes, that's, I haven't made yes, it. you have the discipline in you have to decide that it's something you want to yeah. do. That yeah. was a really good tip. I'm going to, I'm going to highlight that at the end because I think you're right. Like how we spend our mornings will really shape our days. Yeah. And it sounds like... Which, by the way, when, that book has taken the world by storm. It's like everybody's talking about it. Do you know that was self-published? Like that oh, was a self... I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. I just recently learned that. It was a self-published book and now there's like 16 varieties. There's a... So is a, you know, Hal Rada, Hal Al Rada and somebody wrote, you know, for writers, for entrepreneurs, for, yeah, it's amazing. I good for them. I, I'm impressed it. by it. So your, um, your network has evolved and changed so much in the last five or 10 years. And I, because this podcast focuses on networking and building relationships, I'm always curious what kinds of purposeful effort you make to stay in touch with people, to sustain to nurture those relationships? Is it happenstance? Do you have a schedule? Do you have some method to your madness for, for you know, obviously you have your inner circle, but like mm-hmm. the next ring out, the, the people that you care about, but you don't see all the time. Yeah, I could definitely use improvements in that area. So I tell you what, what I have to do. Uh, I am not wired for looping back. Like some people are like a Labrador, you know, it's like they would like go back and just like make you, you know, happy. I'm not wired this way. So when I'm in front of you, I'll give you the shirt off my back. I'll give you everything I have. It's like, I, you know, I'll tell you everything I know. I'll give you all my money. I love you. You're my best friend. The minute you're out of sight, I forget. And I don't have a mechanism that makes me like desire to look back. So for me, I have to schedule it. So I have to set myself reminders like, hey, I haven't talked. You know, so I, what I do is in Google, um, I will set up little reminders. It's like, hey, I haven't, you know, I'm, a month or six weeks or two months, I'm like, hey, two months went by since you talked to that person last time, probably time to check back. Um, so th- I have to do that. Otherwise, I have no built-in mechanism that goes yeah. like, hey, you know, you got to stay in touch with people. I think it's hard, particularly the more people you know and the more, pe- more people who know you. <laughs> there's, yeah. It's hard to, to filter that all out. I use a tool that you might be interested in called Contactually which what it does is what you're talking about with you're doing manually with Google. You put people in different buckets is what they call them. Mm-hmm. And you set a timer for each bucket. So depending on how you're categorizing them is whether you want to talk to them once a month, every six weeks, quarterly, et cetera. And if you don't talk to them and they only count phone and email, if you don't reach out, you can log in and say, I, I did a Facebook message. Like you can tell them something else you've done. But if, it, if you don't have an interaction, they appear on your dashboard. Um, to try to remind you. And so I spend a lot of time just thinking about who I want to move in and out. Because if I, if I don't reach out and they keep showing up and I keep resetting it and be like, okay, postpone, postpone, then I'm like, yeah, maybe that's not somebody I need to like be tracking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, who am I not including that I should be? And so I like it for not, you know, not necessarily tracking my strongest connections, my strongest ties, but the weak ties, like I just went to a conference, I met some good people, I'm not sure what the next steps are, I want to make sure I touch, you know, base with them a few times over the next three months, just to see what happens. Um, If I wait until next year, it's too late. (laughs) So 
I think systems like that, um, I like, you know, I always tell people, you don't have to get fancy. You could totally just set things up in Google Calendar, be disciplined about checking that, making sure you actually do it, um, have a certain day of the week that you, you do your follow-up or reaching out, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, do you, you host know, I, dinners or anything like that or, or any kind of group activities? Uh, for Just for my clients, outside of the client network, I don't. You know, funny you mentioned this because I, I've had this idea for a while and I actually, I think I might have shared with the client who started doing this and now I'm looking at it going like, dang it, it's working so well and I haven't even done mine. But no, I don't. But it's something I'm definitely, I probably will get into before this year is over. You know, I think what's important to, uh, to mention, um, you know, so one other thing I do is like when I talk to people, I actually, right before I finish, I'm like, hey, let's schedule the next call, like in six weeks, in two months. So we do it right away. But I think what's important to mention, Robbie, is that, you know, it takes effort. Just like people want to have a great relationship, but I think it's going to happen effortless. You know, it's like great connections, great relationships, they take effort. You've got to make time for them and you've got to work at them. And that's just what it is. Yeah. So Adam, if we had the opportunity to meet a year from now and you were sharing all the amazing success that you've had in the past year, what would we be celebrating? Uh, that we both better looking? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we both had amazing success, huh? You know, um, gosh, I think that I would love to celebrate uh, helping um, another batch of amazing clients create amazing results. And do you have any particular goals attached to that? Or is it really just uh, move? You're, you're in such a good spot that you're just like doing more of the same that are doing it even better, more of the same. Um, no, I definitely want to do more. I want to impact more people. So, you know, I, I'm, I think that for me, what it is, is I, I want to introduce a lot more, a little bit, I shouldn't say a lot, a little bit more scale to what I do. But I don't want to lose the quality. I think this is a very thin line I'm walking because um, I see it happen when, it, when a program expands, uh, when a program expands, you know, it loses the, the initial effectiveness. And I'm, I, I'm convinced that I'm on the right track. This, you know, this waving this flag of results revolution. I don't want to lose that. And I know, you know, here's another thing, Robbie, and I, I actually haven't talked about it yet anywhere officially. I know it's going to cost me relationships and friendships because look, when you mess with status quo, it's kind of like an Uber in the taxi industry. You know, people don't like you because you just, you're taking away the livelihood, right? But the fact of the matter is that I'm part of the industry that's been broken pretty much since its inception. And it's got to be, you know, providers in our industry have to take accountability. If they're not willing to do, you know, I just, I just actually had this thought earlier today. I can't back away and play nice because it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. You know, I have a responsibility to my clients and only to my clients, not to my market, not to my competitors, not to others in this industry. And, you know, if their if they're way to do business sucks because they can't create 100% success rate, then it's kind of like a car manufacturer saying, well, you know, we hate the fact that somebody produces cars that actually work. Ours don't work, but people should buy them anyway. <laughs> it's just stupid, right? And we yeah. in the service industry, we do it. So I think for me, it's leading this revolution, impacting clients, having impeccable success rate, and pulling an entire industry with me to up-level our standards. I would totally applaud that as someone who's is in that same field and feels the same way. As a speaker, I was appalled to find out that it's like at most 30% of what you tell somebody from the stage stays with them. And that's just horrifying to me. I'm all about tidbits that people can take away. Um, so I, I just want to appreciate you for the time that we spent together. How would people find you or follow your work? 
Oh, good point. I think the best way, um, I have an online community. I would love for you to become part. Just go to fastestpathtocash.club, fastestpathtocash.club. Um, or just look up Adam Urbanski, and I'm probably going to come up in a bunch of different places. I would love for you to join me. I am there a lot. I love to teach a lot. Again, I've got those two diseases, right? I love to teach, and I love to see results. So um, come play with me. That sounds awesome. I'll add the link to the show notes so people can check it out. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks for having me, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Adam Rabansky. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 59. The countdown continues. My best-selling book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking and Conferences, will be out in paperback on Tuesday, September 12th. The paperback comes with a free audiobook so you can listen on the go. Don't want to wait? You can download the Kindle book right now and read it on any device. Get it at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore. Croissants vs. Bagels debuted at number one in three categories and continues to be a bestseller in several categories on Amazon with over 160 reviews worldwide. Have you read it? I'd love to hear what resonated with you. And don't forget to check out Empowered Networking Program. You'll learn the number one mindset shift responsible for neutralizing anxiety when it comes to attending conferences. It's simpler than you think. You'll learn how to make following up effortless with a two-minute activity that you can accomplish before leaving for an event. And you'll learn the real reason people stand out in a crowd and how you can use it to your advantage. I'll even show you how to host your own events, even if the thought of hosting gives you the hives, and an exit strategy that will ensure you'll never be stuck in a corner with someone you don't want to talk with to. In fact, they'll be happy to let you out of their conversational death grip once you use these techniques. You can tell I've talked to a lot of people about what they care about and what they want to learn about. And finally, I did write up a sales page so you can check out all the details, learn more, and sign up at robbysamuels.com slash empowered networking. These links will be in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Look for episode 59. Do you host a conference or convention and want your attendees to feel that your event was incredibly valuable because of all the connections they made? I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. Do you know someone who might be interested? I welcome introductions. I was just telling Adam how I use Contactually to keep track of my most important contacts and the ones that I hope will become significant. As an affiliate, they're offering my listeners a free trial. Let me know if you sign up and I'll get you set up for success. Visit robbysamuels.com slash Contactually for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y. For your convenience, I'll add that link also to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, episode 59. If you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com, where you'll find On the Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. And before I go, I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed with a rating review in iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating review in iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at iTunes 
www.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.